I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash inner academy. Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishnadas shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishnadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. He opened the door to that love. And we could walk right in. In fact, he would drag us in. But we ourselves would pull ourselves out of it. He would open the door to this room and we would go in. And we would feel loved in a way that we had never been loved before. But our own stuff pulled us out over and over again. He would bring us back in. How would he bring us in? You know, like he kept throwing fruit. People would bring him fruit and they'd come to the temple. So he would distribute to people seemingly randomly. 
but like two or three days would go by and you didn't get a banana. <laughs> and you start to shake a little bit. Everybody around you is getting bananas and you know, you don't get a banana. And finally, somebody called my name and I turned around and as soon as I turned, boom, I got hit in the heart with a banana, right? <laughs> and I turn around and he's looking at me like, He did that on purpose. <laughs> that was the cool thing about it. He really did. He, did. he created this whole drama just to get me in the heart with a banana at the right moment. <laughs> you think he had nothing else to do in life. And he was doing that with everybody all the time. And nobody, you never knew. The person sitting next to me didn't know what I was going through, but he did. And he was doing the same thing with them, and them, and them, and everybody, all the same time. Because the guru lives within you, within us, as who we truly are, our true nature, our true being. God, guru, self are the same. Not just the same, they are one. It's not that they're not different, they are one. God, guru, self, true self. One and the same. So he's inside there looking out. But I'm out here looking. See anything. The only reason I'm chanting today is because of what he, what he did. One time at the temple, at the end of the uh, season, in the fall, uh, there were kirtanwalas from Brindavan. They were all season long, and all day long, they were singing Hare Krishna. And we used to sing with them when he wasn't out. But when he came out, we would go hang out with him. And um, one day, one of these Indian guys tried to seduce one of the Western women that was there. So, of course, Maharaji found out about it. And in about two minutes, all 20 of these guys were loaded on the back of a truck, sent down to the train, sent home to Brindavan. So one of the, one of the folks in the temple said, Baba, you just kicked out the kirtanwalas. Who will sing now? The Westerners. Shit. This was not good news. The room that you had to sing in was around the corner from the courtyard. So when he came out, we couldn't see him. And we had one instruction to sing. There was no instruction about when and if to stop. <laughs> it was like eternal damnation times 10. You know, nails on a blackboard after about 20 hours of <laughs> I'd be sitting there, you know, and I, it's okay, so let me think about my life. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, what's going on? Well, yeah, I remember when I was born. Yeah, that was cool. Uh-huh. 
It was good. Then we moved to Yeah, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Oh, yeah, and then I went to school. Yeah, was that PS 186? Yeah, Oh, yeah, I had that little, I liked that girl in third grade. Yeah, she was really cute. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. So I'm just living my whole life. I figured I did it about 20 times, you know. But all the time, the mantra's going on because that's what you have to do. But the mind is absolutely clueless and not paying any attention whatsoever. Just enough to keep it going. And then I like, remembered my old girlfriend back in the States, you know, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. <laughs> and that was good for, you know, an hour or two. And then I remember she broke up with me. Hare Krishna. But the whole time, no matter what I was thinking about or feeling or remembering, the mantra kept going. And after about a week, uh, every day, maybe like 10 hours a day, after about a week, something began to happen that I certainly had no idea anything was going to happen, but something began to happen. And what happened was, You know, those, you know those paintings where the figure and the ground switch? You know what I'm talking about? That's what happened. The mantra became like home. And the thoughts were just going through. And they would just go through by themselves. I had nothing to do with it. And they were going through, I'd go, oh, huh. Hare Krishna. It was amazing. It was a whole change. Like, they had, the space had opened up. And me was just floating through that space. But I had nothing to do with it. The mantra was home. The space had opened up and felt like home, being home and deep. And all these thoughts just came through like birds, just flew right through. And I didn't, I didn't go with them. I was aware of them, but they just kept going. Nobody was more surprised than me. I had no idea that anything could or would ever happen. But that's how I got a little bit of a clue about the direction that this practice can bring us. You know, it gets harder and harder to realize how gone we are all the time. We don't get any help from Hollywood. There's just more channels, more stuff to download, more shit going on on the internet. You never, you can go through like weeks without ever noticing how gone you are all the time. And let me tell you something, that's not a good strategy. <laughs> it's not a good strategy. We have to find a way to come back. And that's what these practices do. They bring us back, not like dragging us, kicking and screaming, but they say, and when I say something that I don't personally know, I usually say, they say. <laughs> they say that every repetition of one of these names is like a seed, okay? It's like a seed, and it gets caught by the wind, 
and it flies around through the air and it lands on the roof of an old house. And this, this thing was told by a great saint in the 1800s named Sri Ramakrishna. And in those days, the, uh, the tiles on the roof were made out of clay. And they, uh, over time and seasons, and wind and rain and everything, those tiles would start to break down and get soft again. And the seeds of the repetition of the name, which had gotten caught between the tiles, started to grow. And they grew, and the roots grew and grew, and they destroyed the roof of this old house. And they kept growing, and they destroyed the whole house, all the walls of the house, everything was gone. That old house is who we think we are. Everything we think about ourselves, all the stories we tell about ourselves to ourselves, all the judgments, all the stuff, that's that old house. And this practices break down that house little by little so we can become free from this sense of separateness. Everybody in this room probably, and if not, please see me afterwards, Everybody in this room thinks you're different from the person sitting next to you. It's reasonable, right? In this world, that's what it looks like. Don't shake your head. When you yell at each other, you think you're different. We think we're different. We think we're separate. And because we think that, because thoughts coming that tell us that, we believe it. Have you ever noticed you believe everything you think? That is the definition of insanity. <laughs> Book definition. Why do we believe everything we think? It's so nuts. And we think all the time. We wake up in the morning, we start writing, directing, and acting in the movie of me. Oh, where am I going to go today? What am I going to do? What am I going to wear? Are they going to like me? My hair should be like this. like this. All day long. It doesn't stop. It just goes from here to here, up and down, all over the place. And then, you know, then we write reviews. <laughs> which we read and get depressed. <laughs> How do we stop this shit? You can't. Where are you going to grab it? Where are you, what are you going to do? What, where are you going to find it? Right? That's why we do a practice. You're sitting there, you're repeating the name and sweating your balls off, and you're lost, and you remember, oh, wait a second, I'm actually in this room with 500 people. What am I doing? Rama, Rama. You're back for about a quarter of a second. Then it's another 20 minutes till you notice you're gone. Really? Pay attention, you'll see. But gradually, we spend, when we come back, we spend more, we stay longer a billionth of a second more at a time, maybe. Really. The real stuff is very subtle, and it's under the radar. You don't get to do a trip about it. Oh, my goodness, I was so concentrated today. What a very good meditation I had. <laughs> Take it from somebody who's done that for 50 fucking years. 
So, we just come back. That's all. We just come back. We just come back every time. And what a great miracle it is to come back even for a second. Really? Why should we, why should we ever come back? Well, it turns out, according to the Buddhists, that every thought has just a certain amount of energy. And when that energy is gone, you, the consciousness, the awareness that's tied to it just falls back into itself. But you didn't need to know that. You just need to say Ram. My guru used to say, through the repetition of these names, gradually, no, what did he say? Ram Nam Karnis, I know it in Hindi. Ram Nam Karnis says Sapura Hojata. From the repetition of these names, everything is brought to fullness and completion. It's, we're being ripened by these practices. Ripened. Ripened. That's what it's like. These practices put our, put our hearts out in the sun. And that love that is the sun ripens our hearts and slowly melts all the stuff that's surrounded, all the armor, all the protection, everything. But you got to do it, you know, that's why they call it a practice. You got to do it. You don't do it, you don't do it. Nothing happens. That's okay. All right, so with, let's, anybody want to ask a question? Do we have a microphone? We do? Oh, but it's up here. I'll ask a question. Uh, how are we going to do it? Hi. Thank, um, thank you, firstly. Uh, it's lovely to be here. Um, so I mentioned briefly to you last night about uh, the song God is Real, which for me was quite a strong song. Uh, I was just wondering how you, like I noticed you don't use a lot of English, but when you do it's quite powerful. How, how did you sort of come to choose that song or use that song to inspire you? Um, mm. How do you make those choices when you do? You know, I was in New York once and I was uh, I had just come up with this chant My Foolish Heart that chant. and obviously there's some English at the beginning. So I said to the, to the group about a thousand people. I said, I'm going to sing this uh, next song. It has some English in it. And a friend of mine was in the audience. And she said, the guy next to her, when I said that, the guy next to her went like, ah, oh, shit, I didn't come here for this. <laughs> How wonderful. Is this so beautiful, right? So what didn't he come there for? What this guy wanted to do was to numb his brain out by going But he did not want to say anything in English. Why? You know what? English, for most of us here, is the language we talk to ourselves in, right? Yeah, and if you're like me, all I hear is my mother's voice saying, Jeffrey, don't do that. And I'm sure you have your own version of that, <laughs> but very sure. So he didn't want to hear English, because English is the language we tell ourselves the stories about ourselves to ourselves, right? It never stops. So he wanted a break from that, and I understand that. 
But we can't stop thinking. We can't just stop those stories. What we can do, though, is substitute different stories, which is why all the great saints say to serve people, think about other people, take care of people. Don't think about yourself. Think about others. Because all we do is think about ourselves. If we just try to change the concentration a little bit and think about other people and become more aware of what's going, around, what's going on around us and not just react blindly all the time, we find our world's expanding a little bit and opening up. They're, they call it cultivating the four immeasurable qualities. Loving kindness, compassion, equanimity, peace of mind, and happiness. Those are immeasurable. There's no end to them. Most of us act like happiness is in a limited quantity, and if somebody else is happy, that means there's less for me. Why do they feel so good? <laughs> you know, it's not like that. So, on one hand, we do need to cultivate the attention to the name and, and repetition of these chants and these mantras. But on the other hand, we also need to use the strength we get from that to start looking around a little bit looking around and seeing what's going on around us. See how much, see what other people are going through. And instead of reacting to something that you imagine they're doing to you, try to see where they're coming from and why they might have done that. It's mind-blowing. Really mind-blowing. So. I, English, I don't know what to say, except more English. But anyway, that's the basic idea. So when I do some, when, I, when a chant does kind of come to me with English in it, it means a lot to me, anyway. Hello. Hi. Um, I am studying Brahmacharya. Right now? You're what? Studying Brahmacharya. Studying Brahmacharya. <laughs> for, for, for a theory presentation. I'm a happily married woman. Uh huh. Um, and you're studying Brahmacharya. Yeah. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, Brahmacharya is, is essentially celibacy. But what it really means is living in God. But that's a whole other story. Go ahead. And my question to you is what is walking in the path of God? What are the what? What does walking in the path of God mean to you? What is walking on the path of God? Walking in the path of God. Maharaji, you know, we, there was a group of crazy Westerners surrounding my guru all the time. And as you might imagine, there was a lot of uh, extracurricular activity going on in the evenings. <laughs> so he would laugh at people and say, ah, you've become friends. Ah, oh, good. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and the next day he come back, oh, you're good friends. This is very good. <laughs> and the next day he come back, oh, you're very good friends. Now you're married. Go home to America. <laughs> he said that Brahmacharya was, you could, he said somebody could be 
brahmacharya if they were with one partner for their whole life. But that excludes most of us. So, and he knew that. So he was just like uh, walking the path of God means knowing yourself, you know, finding out who you are because you are God. Not who you think you are, but what's looking out of your eyes right now. Not what you're thinking about it. And any method you use for any length of time that you think will help you is good. But if it's no longer helpful, why use it? I was celibate in India for three years when I went there. Maharaj was teasing me about getting married. You know, he said, ah, you'll be happy when you're married. I said, I want to marry you. You should have heard him laugh. He says, ah, if you marry me, all you'll get is love. <laughs> he was too far out, you know. Um, I don't know if that's a satisfactory answer for you, but it's such a general question. You're kind of copping out, so I won't, I won't ask anymore. Next person. Where's the mic? How are we doing it? Okay, where? Hey, the people in the expensive sheets shouldn't get the mic all the time. <laughs> we'll, we'll, pass, we'll just pass it back now. Okay. Hi. Hello. Hi. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, so. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> So a theme of conversation over the weekend, uh, one of the themes has been about ego. And recently I have a new look on ego where uh, a little closer. I've, he I've heard of healthy ego in the past and I took it into consideration recently and how it can be helpful when aligned with the heart and with the true self mm -hmm. and other factors like the ego, like... Uh, Maybe uh, I guess like sense. I guess they all fall into ego, really. But uh, I was wondering if you could speak on that, on having like positive ego or aligning it with spirit. My ego would be happy to address that. <laughs> and I thank you. You're awesome. My, My ego is very is happy thankful. to say thank you. You know, one of the great saints that ever lived, Ramana Maharshi, said asking the ego to uh, find itself and destroy itself is like asking the thief to be the policeman. There will be a lot of investigation, <laughs> but no arrest will ever be made. <laughs> you, know, another, you know, one time I was at uh, one of uh, Maharaji's great old devotees at his house, and. Maybe I was showing him a little bit too much respect. You know, he was uncomfortable. I was too. And he said, he stopped me, grabbed my arm. He said, Krishna does. He said, I may be a step or two ahead of you. And you may be a step or two ahead of somebody else. He said, but we're all on this side. Only the great ones have gone to the other shore. The rest of us are just fucking around, you know. <laughs> we're doing the best we can. That's good. But it's all ego over here, all of it. 
Devotion is ego. Yoga is ego. Renunciation is ego. Everything's ego. Because you're doing it. And you think you're doing it. What's the mystery? But that's okay. That's why you want to plant seeds. Every action is a seed. So you want to plant seeds that will bring you the fruit that you want. Right? You don't want to eat bitter fruit. You don't want to be unhappy. So you want to find a way to create a, a really healthy, happy way to live in this world, which is possible. It might be subtle, but it's possible, very possible. But it starts with you. It starts with you becoming a good person, somebody who cares about other people, somebody who's kind, somebody who listens to other people, somebody who takes care of the people you can take care of. And in doing so, you're taking care of yourself. And you're also not creating all kinds of negative karmas, which will sooner or later bring fruit as well. So we, we have to, everything we do is karma. We're creating karmas all the time. And it's ego, is separation is what creates the karmas. But if we, if we cultivate, like I said before, kindness, caring, compassion, peace of mind, and inner joy, those karmas become like a clear mirror, which then reflects what's deeper within us. All the other karmas are dark and mush, you know, all around like an ocean in an uproar, you know, in a, in a storm. And you can't see what's at the bottom. So every action is a karma. Wanting to be, wanting to find God is karma too. Because it's just everything we do. But that's the way it is. It's okay. But if, it's, if we believe this or accept this to some degree, then we know it's up to us to act in a way that's even in our own best interests. And that's sometimes hard to know. So we have to learn how to calm ourselves down so we can see things more clearly. And little by little, we get better at it. Unfortunately, spontaneous enlightenment takes billions of births to happen. So there's no hurry. Where are you going to go? Everywhere you go, you're there. <laughs> Until you're not. And then that's when you're really here. Okay? Thanks. You're welcome. Pass it back to somebody. Yeah, you pick. Go ahead. Take bribes. It's okay. Hi there. Hi. Um, I have a question. Are, just, are you nervous at all when you do your sabbatical or take your break about um, just kind of going into a place of not being surrounded by amazing people like this? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, no, and I guess, I guess. Sorry. You're not coming over? <laughs> I'll come over anytime. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess, and to lead into that, a couple years ago, I, I was doing a lot of nonprofit consultant work, and I just got to the point where I was doing too much, and I, I'm like, I'm going to take a break and say no for once. And I thought, oh, this is great. I just have time to relax and do what I want to do. But then all of a sudden, anxiety kind of 
encompass my body and and I feel like it's because for so many years I was just go 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 and then everything came to the surface so um I just wondered if you uh, hopefully that makes sense that question makes sense yeah, and it makes a lot of sense okay um well not really I'm not really worried because uh I'm kind of at the place where uh, I figure I can survive just about anything, you know, probably. We'll see. What can I say, you know? A lot of people have been asking me, you know, uh, what are you going to do when you're on sabbatical? What am I going to do? The whole idea is not to make a plan, and you're asking me what I'm going to do? <laughs> so, you know, uh, I've been into those, I've been down into the black hole a few times. And uh, I'm still here. So, what can I say? If it gets horrible, it'll change. And I'll still be here. Uh, that's all I can tell you. You know, you get to a point where you're willing to go through whatever has to be gone through. Because what are the options, you know? Right? So you go through with your eyes open as best you can, dealing with it the best way you can, whatever that means to you. And you're, when it's over, you're still here. And something else shows up. Oh, but we like the nice stuff. Yeah, we don't worry about that. That's what we should worry about, but that's a whole other story. Okay? Thank you. Yeah. Hi. Where are you? Oh, hi. Um, I think last year in LA sometime, you spoke into um, how it almost felt like you have no choice to sing, to chant. Mm -hmm. Do you remember a little bit about that? Like, like almost like you have no control over you, like you have to sing. You, you ha you're talking about yourself? No, you. Oh, me? Yeah. Oh. All I can tell you is probably nothing's changed. Yeah, I sing to save my, you know, to stay, every time I start to chant, immediately or within a few minutes, everything falls into place. The right perspective comes back. Whatever's been bothering me moves to the background and the chant just comes up. That space, that presence starts to arise and I get more present and more calm and and whatever was bothering me or whatever I was obsessing with, that just kind of naturally would move to the background. Sometimes it just disappears. Sometimes it comes back. But that's why you keep doing practice, to develop that muscle, that letting go muscle. So when stuff grabs you, you can let go of it. It doesn't have to, it's not, you have a vote. You have something you can do. When things are really, when I really need something to happen, you know, shift inside, I will do 108 Hanuman Chalisas. 
That's a practice that we started to do in India a long time ago. And every time I do that, something shifts. I notice something moves inside, something I was stuck in. But that's a lot of effort, and it's, it, you know, it takes a few hours. First time I did it, it took me 16 hours. <laughs> now I can do it in about 33 seconds, you know. <laughs> Thank you. It's a very powerful practice. The idea, you know, we have to get, we have to kind of realize that most of the time our emotions are just pushing us around. Our emotions, our desires, our mind, our thoughts, everything, it just, it, it's just running and it's just, it's just dragging us along with it. And we do not get much of a vote as to how we, what we can do about that. So that's what practices do. Over time, they actually give you a way of, bring, of coming back from being lost in all this stuff. This sometimes painful, sometimes not so painful. So this is what it's about. And when I come back, then I'm with Maharaji. Then I'm back in that loving presence, which is where I want to be. And y'all can be there and with me. It's okay. It's not an exclusive club. And so do you feel like you did, do you feel like you chose your path or do you feel like your path chose you? Well, first of all, sweetheart. <laughs> oh. Thanks for the credit. But I, I'm not smart enough to choose the right pair of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's a rainy day. I think I'll wear my sandals. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, from my point of view, which is all I can give you, is that my guru has done all this. Absolutely. And he's still doing it. It just looks like me. You know. And if you asked him, he'd say, Ram was doing it. I don't know what Ram would say. He'd say, shut up and sing. That's what he would say. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this is all the blessings of my guru, of my teacher, all of it. And the fact that we meet here like this, where we can, for a few minutes, just kind of hang in this space together without a whole lot of bullshit. It's, it's a great blessing just to be in this presence together. Thank you. By the way, I do want to say, I thought this was a three-hour workshop, I, but they say it's only two. So at four o'clock, we're going to have to leave. So. Uh, um, so we'll take a few more questions, and then you know, we'll sing some more. If you want. We can, it's, I'm fine talking, but it's up to you. Thank you for being here. Um, I read your book. A little closer. I read your book. Okay. And, uh, you, you spend that much time in the bathroom? Yeah, because huh? I'm a good student. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I'm a good student, and I want to be prepared for the class, right? So, um, and, you know, you talk about having gone to dark places, and I just didn't, you know, from, from my perspective, I would have liked to know more about the dark places because a hero's journey is so inspiring for so many people. Well, the book is definitely PG-rated. Okay. So, <laughs> the X-rated version can be arranged. 
at a later date. <laughs> Sorry, what's your question? Sorry. The real question is, yeah. the most distressing you know, thought process for me is when I start thinking about all the suffering in the world. Suffering endured by people, suffering endured by all creatures. And what would Maharaji have said about that, that you can impart to us? He said it all the time. Love everyone, serve everyone, remember God. That's what he said. That's what he said all the time. You know, you got to be a little bit, uh, you have to pay attention because it's, neurosis can very quickly wrap itself around spiritual aspiration. The great beings are aware of all the suffering in the world all the time. They're also aware of the causes of that suffering. They're also aware of the causes of the end of that suffering. We're not. The reason that we want to open to the reality of suffering is that so we can look first, for, number one, is we can look for those causes within ourselves. And two, the stronger we are, the more we can help other people. It turns out that this is what we're, these practices give us the strength to become good human beings. Not to go off, not to go ascend bodily to heaven. Uh, or have, just sit there like this, you know. That's not what it's about. It's not, states of mind come, states of mind go. We cultivate these these deeper qualities, like I said before, compassion, loving kindness, peace of mind, and, and inner joy. So we can be present regardless of what comes into our world. And we can be the, do the most we can to help people. If you have anger, how can you alleviate anger in the world? If you have greed, how can you tell someone not to be greedy? You can say it, but it ain't going to work. Right? So at the same, there's, it's a process. But you can't, you, we, we, can, we tend to get caught in the, in the unbearable sadness about it all. But our job is to be a witness to it. And a witness is right there with it and present, but not projecting your own suffering on top of it. So to be a witness means to really see things, to see things in ourselves, to see things in others, but not, not to be uh, laying our trip on that situation. For instance, my, my friend Bernie Glassman, the Zen master, he created this group called the Zen Peacemakers. And they go around the world to these places where there's been unbearable brutality and unbearable suffering. They go to bear witness. So I went with him twice to Auschwitz. And uh, it's extraordinary. You, you can't believe that anybody could do that to anybody else. And yet it happened. So there I am, walking around in the camp, being guided. And we took a tour, you know, one of the, the Polish 
people who run the place, they, they give you a tour and they show you what happened here and what happened there. And I was getting more and more angry, you know. And every day the sun would rise. It was beautiful weather and the grass was green and the, the, the trees were, had, had beautiful colored leaves on it. It was, it was beautiful there. And I remember saying something to the guide and she said, oh, well, in those days, there was no grass and there was no leaves because they ate everything they could. There was only mud. Even the bark of the trees had been eaten off. It was all gray and brown. So I'd look up at the sun every day and I said, how the fuck do you dare rise on this place? And I was furious. How could you rise on this place? How could you shine on this place? How, you know, how could you do that? And every day I come and I look at the sun again and I say the same thing. Finally, I realized that it is just the nature of the sun. It's the nature of the sun to shine on the good, the bad, and everything in between. An unconditional love, bearing witness, means to be there with it as it is. So... The reason I go to these situations is because it cleans my heart. It shows me how my own bullshit is creating suffering for myself and others also. So then I went to another one at, in the Pine Ridge Reservation with the, with the Lakota people. So there I went from identifying with the victims <laughs> to identifying with the perpetrators, the white people who, who are screwing the, the natives over still. What the government is doing is unbelievable. Y you literally would not believe it. And that was the same thing, same situation. The unbelievable suffering that was dealt to these people. But they themselves commented on, on the quality of the retreat that was there because we didn't come to solve the problems. We came to be there with them, in it, with it without judging. And that's a whole other thing. If we could be like that with ourselves for just a minute, everything would be different in our lives. But we're constantly judging. We're constantly projecting our own storyline onto other people and then reacting and acting as if that's really the way it is and creating more and more suffering for ourselves and others every minute of every day. How do we stop this? How do we affect this? Ram Nam Karnese Sapura Hojata. Through doing spiritual practice, this situation is changed. We can make a shift in this, but we have to pay attention. Have to pay attention. It's not so easy. It may take the next four billion lifetimes. So, start soon. <laughs> you don't want it to be four billion in one. Okay. Let's see. Okay. So, um... We're going to sing Hanuman Chalisa.
Let's do a couple of ohms together. Sunny 